Hello and welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, streaming live from Queens, New York. We're really glad that you decided to join us today. Whether you're a member, attend regularly, or this is your first time with us, we want to let you know we appreciate you. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Thanks, Rob. This past week I was at a conference in North Carolina, and they were talking about it was a sort of a Christian-based money manager conference <clears throat> and they mentioned how we have all these holidays and they mentioned now in November we have one day that's called National Stress Relief Day and I said that's, that's interesting I was not aware of that but um, you know that last phrase reminds me that we as believers have a National Overcomers Day <clears throat> and it started yesterday morning it's today it's every day so we are just privileged that, um, that, you know, what the blood of Christ has done. Today, you know, Bobby had um, planned to be out this um, today and uh, talk to him. I think it's his birthday, so I'm not sure why he didn't want to be here for us to celebrate his birthday, but, but we can do that later. But um, just um, there is some recent events have happened that you may have read about, like... Um, and it, it reminds me of revival and prayer. And I'm probably, a, or I am a disciple of revival and prayer. I'm a student of it, but, you know, I want to be a master of it. Because to me, it's just so critical in our walk, you know, who we identify with. So, Authorine and Vivian, who are just amazing, uh, you know, amazing prayer warriors, um, you know, and, uh, and I have, uh, you know, sort of discussed, uh, you know, how we might challenge you in this area, encourage you in this area, because to me, uh, it's, it is to me, it's the uh, a key, one of the key foundations of our, you know, walk with the Lord. It's interesting this morning. I, I have a, several devotionals, and the one I was reading this morning. Uh, had me in Mark chapter nine. I mean, Mark chapter nine, verse twenty-nine. In that passage, some, there's a person who brings these persons with demons, obsessed with demons, to Jesus, and they say, you know, we can't, you know, we can't deal with this. And this has been going on all of his life, and um, so Jesus, um, you know, he, he 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 rebukes the demons. They come out of it. You know, they they come out, and the the. Uh, I think the child basically looks lifeless. Jesus tells that, that child, you know, you know, stand up. And the, and the, the disciples are there. And the disciples are sort of in awe. And um, so Jesus looks at him and says, you know, you know, this kind of miracle can only be done through prayer. And I think there's so many areas in our life that we've seen defeated where prayer is the answer. Prayer is the key. And you see quite often... I'll go to the next slide. Pardon me as I as we work through this, but you, you see quite often in Scripture when Jesus is dealing with his his followers that he or, or, you know that they are not able to do you know certain things that he challenges them to do, and their response to him as our response to him should be, Lord, teach us to pray, teach us to pray, and to me that is a that's just a. You know, that's, that's my prayer. That's always been my prayer. Continues to be my prayer as we, as we grow in Christ. <clears throat> On the next uh, slide, there's, 
just a, uh, you know, I have a lot of books on, on prayer, not that I've mastered it, but, you know, from God's perspective, you know, what is prayer? And it says that, you know, prayer is God's primary means of coming, is our primary means of coming to know him, to worship him, experience transformation through through Christ that dwells in us. And this is another key. The great secret of prayer is to be aligned ourselves with, to God's purposes rather than seeking to align him to ours. I think quite often we come to him to bring him our needs and to tell him how we think he should solve it. And um, But I think, you know, the, the, the true answer there is that we come to, you know, that we come to him, listen to him, allow him to lead. And then um, it said, through prayer, we find that what he purposes to do in and through us for his pleasure and how he purifies his church and builds his kingdom. On the next slide, this is a quote that I that, um, heard years ago. When we ask, what is prayer? Prayer is the heart and soul of every successful relationship with God. It's not a option or not an, a, uh, you know, an add-on. It, it is the heart and soul of every successful relationship with God. So as, as we grow in that regard, um, as we you know, grow in the faith, you know, prayer just has to be key. And Billy Graham, uh, you know, was an amazing guy, but um, here's a quote that I heard years ago. No one's relationship with Christ will ever rise above the level of his or her praying. Again, no one's relationship with Christ, which is our ultimate desire and passion, will ever rise above his or her level of praying. So, so, so during this time today, we just... You know, we hope to uh, encourage you, to challenge you in that regard, to take a baby step, or you know, to you know, in that regard, to be more you know, enlightened by prayer, to be aware, to to create awareness, and to take this you know steps to walk along that path. Next slide. Now, this is my wife said I shouldn't have put this one in there, but I, I try to listen to my wife. But I don't know who remembers this this song, but this is back in. This 1970. Well, I don't know who's. I, I don't say remember. I know. I don't know who even has heard of it being remembered by your parents or grandparents. But you know, there's. It was back in the 1970s during the Vietnam War. The song was "War." What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. This was Edwin Starr, and I think of that. You know, it's always provocative. But anytime I hear that, I think of substituting the word prayer. You know, prayer. You know, what is it good for? To me, absolutely everything. So I just I raise that not to show, not to reveal how or the, the generation I grew up in, but, but you know. <laughs> um, and then on the next slide, I'm a tool guy. I love to fix things. You know, I have a, lots of tools. Uh, if I had a, if I have a um, something to be fixed, whether it's a house or the car, I didn't have YouTube either, but I would go out and buy the tool because if, if I had the tool. Having the right tool was a key part of the job. So whether I was, 
tearing something down or diagnosing or designing or build or maintaining, I have a ton of tools, some of which have been used once, some of which are still in the box. But I think as a believer, you know, probably a key tool that we have need to have in our toolbox that we're using all the time is prayer. You know, how can we open that prayer? How can we open that toolbox? How can prayer advance us? Because to me, it is the key to our advancement in our walk with God, and um, you know, along with with faith and other things. But uh, you know, you think of um, you know Jesus, his life. You know, he, he so often he went to pray. Um, I want to take you now. I want to take you on just a little, little journey, and uh, most of you will recognize these. Uh, there's some famous statues in our great city. And um, so uh, I don't have an award, but let's do the, the first one, which is. All right. The next one. Next one. Central Park. Who knows? Good, good. Okay, the next one. Okay. I think that's, uh, that, I think it's Christopher Columbus. And, all right, for the next one. Okay. All right. The, before I show you the next one, let me, it's not Rob Wright and it's not Bobby Dobbins and it's not me. Show, show the next one. Something good. All right, and the next one. What's the What's the next one? That's the pantomime guy. Oh, what? Okay, let's go to the next one. The next one. Next slide. Somehow this guy wants to be seen. And, okay, there we go. There we go. Okay, how about this one? Atlas. All right, the next one. Let's go down to Wall Street. Bull. Bull. All right. The next one. Very good. To me, this is like uh, David and Goliath. You got an amazing goal, but you got the man of faith, David, and you know who's uh, standing up to it. All right, now the the bonus award is the next one. This this person is the most uh, to me the most powerful person who's one of the most powerful persons who's ever walked the streets of New York City. Anybody know? Anybody know? Going once? Hmm? No. It's not a Yankee thing. Um, <laughs> not a Yankee. Not a Okay. This guy, this is located in the lobby of King's College. The building right next to it is, is one Wall Street. This is about hundred feet up from the bowl of the Broadway. Um, but if you, uh, okay, let's, let's go to the, the next slide. There's a plaque next to it. And um, 
in September of 1857, September 23, 1857, this guy's name is Jeremiah Lanfear. He was just a lay person. He felt um, he had a burden for New York. You know, things were ugly then, sin was rampant, rebellion, and uh, he um, <clears throat> he felt called to have a start a prayer meeting. And in the Dutch Reformed Church down close to Fulton Street, at noon, he, he posted posters all around the financial district that said, you know, for a noonday prayer meeting. He, uh, so he showed up at noon, at 12.30, no one showed up. By like, he's in the last for an hour. By one o'clock, six people were there. So he said, well, he came back the next week, 10 people showed up. Came back the following week, 20. Within probably six months, there were probably 50,000 people meeting in downtown New York, praying for revival, praying that God would intervene. This was in 1857, um, right before a great uh, uh, market crash, right before the country was about to be torn apart by civil war. This revival that he started, the that led to eventually over one million people prayed to receive Christ during the uh, you know the, the following you know few years, um, and again one man with a burden for his neighbors, his community felt called by God to step out in faith. The, uh, so this story it, it affirms that you know one one person. It doesn't take a hundred of us. One person in obedience to God can make a huge, huge difference. So again, that's if you're down down by the bull, you know, check it out. Humble guy. And there's been a history of revivals. When we when you look at the history of revivals, then uh, it's very. Uh, this to me is one of the major ones because this is called the 1857 prayer revival, where prayer was key to it. So again, um, the. Uh, and with this, um, so you know what we saw that this was prompted by a lay person, and uh, it carried. It started out at uh, Dutch Reformed Church. It carried over the John Street Methodist Church, which is still there on John Street. And uh, like I said, it spread like wildfire across the country. You've heard of people like Dwight Moody and others, and it impacted them. Went to Chicago. It just spread spread everywhere, but just through the faithfulness of one person. Fast forward two months ago, a little college in Asbury University, or Asbury um, in Wilmore, Kentucky, Asbury University. Has anybody heard about the, that revival there? Any hands? Yeah, that back in 1970, again when when the the song or War was coming out, um, and I was a college student then. But there there was a revival at Asbury College, again just a small college, and. Um, and where people felt burdened to pray, but the first thing that they did, they felt burdened to repent, to confess. And when they they did that, you know, God showed up. Um, and, and again, so can you play the clip for that? And again, this this just completed about uh, well the week before last. Ever after 360 hours. Uh, it's a chapel service, a one-hour chapel service, 
and at the end of the chapel service, some students mingled around, and they stayed, and then students started coming back, and it went for over 306, over 15 days nonstop, 24-7, where, where the students primarily were confessing, they were getting right for repenting, and they were getting right before God, and so, can't do it, won't work, okay, all right, um, but if you, if you, if you Google that, then it's just an amazing story. So that revival started, and like I said, it went around the clock. Students coming. This little town of Asbury would be, uh, <clears throat> it would probably fit within one, within a, a city block here. They had people lined up for hours. People, you know, trying to trying to come to see what God was doing. And again, um, so just as um, I'm going to turn it over to Authorine now. And again. Our prayer is that God would do an amazing work. Not that we be spectators, but that we be, you know, a part of that. And, uh, you know, again, through, through prayer, through prayer, we see that that is key. So, all three of you will share with us. Thank you, Homer, for sharing with us the power of prayer historically. Give me a few moments and get myself oriented here. I could not have made it through the last three years without the gift of prayer. I say prayer is a gift because it is encouraging, challenging, and it has even changed me. Think back over the last three years, over the last week. Have there been situations or circumstances that you just didn't understand, that you just couldn't cope with? Situations like lack of finances, loss of health, family hurt, anxiety, depression. The list is endless. What has been your response, my response, to these life stressors? Let's see if Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14 helps us with a response. Before we look at Second Chronicles 7:14, let's take a look back at Second Chronicles chapter 6 to see what happened before Solomon dictates. Solomon dedicates the newly built temple to God. At the temple dedication, Solomon prays, he thanks God, he confesses, and he makes requests. In 2 Chronicles 7, beginning at verse 12, God responds. And here's what God says. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, 
shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sins, and heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open, and mine ears attend unto the prayer made in this place. Verse 14 is part of God's response. There are a few pieces of background information that will help us as we look at verse 14. First, this verse was written to the nation Israel. The nation Israel has a covenantal relationship with God. We too have a covenant relationship with God. Second, in the Old Testament, God inhabits the temple. In the New Testament and beyond, God inhabits his people. He dwells in his people in the person of the Holy Spirit. Third, this verse is a conditional promise. You know it from math, if then, if this, sorry, then that. Now let's take a look at closer at 2 Chronicles 17 and see how it helps us with a response to life's issues and the current state of our world. If my people, which are called by my name, could we put that? Thank you. Thank you. If my people, which are called by my name, the first thing God does is he gives his people an identity. He says they're mine. My indicates relationship. And those people are called by God's name. There is great significance in a name, and there is no name quite like the name of our God. To us, there is no name quite like the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says it this way, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Let us acknowledge God as first in the order of our priorities. There is absolutely no one greater. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. Humility has never been popular. Humility includes a right view of God, which gives me a right view of myself and a right view of others. The prophet Isaiah shows us what happens when he gets a view of God. Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 5 says the following. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, 
I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. In seeing the Lord, Isaiah recognizes that there's no one greater than God, and Isaiah also recognizes that he is a sinner. Humility acknowledges I am dependent on God. Jesus says it this way in John chapter 15, verse 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The scripture teaches about the necessity of humility. In James chapter 4, verse 6, we read, God opposes the proud, but gives favor to the humble. Humility involves submission. Submission to God. If my people who are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. The Israelites had a relationship with God. We have a relationship with God because of Jesus. Every relationship requires communication. Prayer in its simplest form is communicating with God. We should talk to God about our needs. We should tell God about what is happening in our lives. Talk to God about the things that cause us stress. Prayer is not about fancy words, but about the heart. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14 says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get, but the tax collector stood at a distance he would not even look up to heaven. God, he looked, would, I'm sorry, he would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me a sinner. I tell you this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. In this text, we see that prayer is not about education, it's not about status, and it's not about fancy words, but it's about the heart. But we also see that prayer is about humility. In prayer, I admit that I need God. I cannot without Him. Prayer is communicating with God. Prayer is making requests of God. And prayer is also thanking God. Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 through 7 says it this way. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, 
Over and over in the scriptures, God talks about seeking his face. We see it in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Standing here in the front of the room, I cannot see the person sitting on the last row of the theater. Seeing their faces requires proximity, requires closeness, requires a level of intimacy. God is encouraging us to get close to him. James chapter 4 verse 8 says it this way, Come near to God and he will come near to you. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Sin causes a rupture, a break in our relationship with God. Sin turns God's face away from us. King David, Solomon's father, confesses his sin in Psalm 51. In the message paraphrase, here are a few verses. Generous in love, God give grace. Huge in mercy, wipe out my bad record. Scrub away my guilt. Soak out my sins in your laundry. I know how bad I've been. My sins are staring me down. God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Don't throw me out with the trash or fail to breathe holiness in me. I have sinned. We have all sinned. We have all done wrong, and God invites us to turn away from anything that we know displeases him. This goes beyond acknowledging sin and requiring turning away from sin with God's help. Turning away from wickedness requires repentance. Repentance is an honest, regretful acknowledgement of sin with the commitment to change. Acts chapter 20 verse 21 says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks and they, that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 66 verse 18 says, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. What's my response, your response to the stressors of life? Humble myself. Humble yourself and pray, and seek God's face, and turn from our wicked ways. This is the posture of prayer. This is the posture of repentance. Many Christians use the acronym ACTS to help in prayer. A for adoration, C for confession, T for thanksgiving, and S for supplication. I have dealt with the first part of that if-then clause. Vivian will now come and share with you what happens as a result. Thank you, Lachman. Hard act to follow. Very hard. Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Vivian. I've been attending this church for the past 
five to six years, and if you don't know, Orthreen has been my mentor throughout. I'm putting you on the spot. This is my first time, so bear with me, a little nervous. So it's important for me to let you know, first and foremost, First and foremost, before I discuss the covenants in Second Chronicles 7:14, hello. Okay. Before I discuss the covenants of Second Chronicles 7:14, I want to confess to you that I stand before you as a sinner and sometimes broken. But for the grace of God. Somebody doesn't want to hear me. But for the grace of God, who hears my prayers and provides me with the peace that surpasses all understanding, I still stand, knowing, believing, through faith, that God, who heard Solomon's prayers and answered them, is the same God today that hears my prayers and forgives me, my, forgives my sins and heals me. God always hears humble prayers of genuine repentance and welcomes those who seek him through faith in his son. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, God teaches us that if his people turn from their wicked ways, he will do three things. First of his promises is I will hear, he will hear from the heavens. God knows everything we think, say, and do. So God hears all prayers in a sense that he knows everything anyone asks of him. The word hear does not refer to the physical sense of hearing. It means to listen. It means to pay attention. It's more active. We hear this in Psalms 66, 18, 19, which states, I cried out to him, with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have Can you hear me? Okay. But God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. Praise be to God, who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. God knows if we are aware of sin in our life. And, we, and if we cling to them rather than confess it. If we heed not to the Spirit's rebuke, then God will not hear our prayer. God will not accept our prayer. If we accept the sins in our hearts. This is evidence in John 9, 31. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Therefore, in order for the first promise to be fulfilled, then God's people must humbly confess and turn from their sins and seek to please him. God will pay attention to Solomon. We must confess and forsake any sins in our lives that we are aware of. If you do, then he will hear. I do want to share something that... Um, God answered my prayer this week. When we say that he answers prayers, he definitely tested me. In order to prepare 
for today, I have to study 2 Chronicles 7.14. So I humbly went to him. I prayed and I asked and I confessed and I repented. And I added something. I said, God, please, if you see anything displeasing in me, cleanse me, clean me from any inequities. Because I wanted to be able to come here, you know, spiritual filled, but I need to make sure I repented of all my sins. So when I prayed that prayer, I said, okay, God got me. He sees. I didn't think he would show it to me. I figured that he'll just take it away and I'll be done. I get a call on Wednesday from my daughter's school, and it was from the principal's office. And they basically stated, she's not in trouble. But when they say she's not in trouble, that means she's in trouble. So anyway, so they called me. They said, oh, everything's okay. There was just a little misunderstanding, but we're just calling you because she came into the office. But everything is good. I was at work, they didn't get into details, so I was waiting for my daughter to get home for me to speak to her. So I called her. I said, what happened at school that you were led to the principal's office? She basically said, oh, it was a misunderstanding, but didn't go into details. So I called the school, and they told me that she was engaged in a verbal altercation. I was enraged. My daughter? I put in private school? No. She's not going to be engaged in any verbal altercation. So I was prepared to really lash it out when I got home. I was angry. So the minute I got home, I didn't even take off my coat. I called her down and I started yelling, dare you get involved in this school and whatever. And it was as if God was telling me, stop. So I, in a mid-sentence, I stopped. And then I went upstairs to cool down, because you know you should always cool down before. You should never speak in anger. We know that, right? So I went upstairs, and I calmed down, and God literally spoke to me. I when I asked him to show me anything that was displeasing and get rid of it. Guess what he taught me? He taught me that my daughter was doing exactly what I did. I reacted. I didn't think before I spoke, and I reacted to a situation. And that was powerful to me, because I was teaching my daughter. She was doing exactly what she saw her mom do all along. Instead of, I always said, take the high road. When they go low, you go high. That was always something I used to say. But in this case, God said, you didn't take the high road. You took the low road. And so all of this to say that I was repented. I had to apologize. God convicted me. He showed me something in me that was displeasing, that was not only impacting a sin in me, but also to my daughter. So I stand here today to say God does answer prayers. He did convict me, and I repented, although I think my daughter, who's right there, will probably beg to differ and probably say, you need more conviction and you need more repentance. Right, Dave? Thank you. Thank you for hearing this story. Let's move on. The second um, covenant that God promises is he will forgive sin. The word forgive, sorry, the word forgive means pardon, release it refers to removing. Can you guys hear me? Oh. 
The word forgive means to pardon. It means to release. It refers to removing guilt of sin and releasing the forgiven one from the penalty of their wrong. Hello? Hello? Okay. Thank you. Oh, I can use this one. Teamwork. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So, uh, sorry. God takes no pleasure in punishing the wicked. Instead, God desires is for those who do evil to turn from their wicked ways and live. This scripture in John 1, 9, 9, John 1, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This scripture is addressed to those who God, who are God's people, because they have fellowship with the Father and His Son through their faith in Jesus Christ. Confessing sin involves humbly acknowledging your sin to God in prayer and repenting of and turning from that sin and seeking restoration of your fellowship with God. When we as individuals confess our sin to God following the principles of 2 Chronicles 7.14, God will hear. God, God will hear our prayers of repentance and he will forgive our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and restore our personal fellowship with him. This is further evidence in Isaiah 55, 6 through 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and their unrighteousness thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Sin is a disobedience to God's revealed will. For Israel, for the people of Israel, that meant any failure to obey God's commands given through Moses. But today... We have been freed from that ceremonial requirement of the Old Testament law, which we were specifically for Israel, but God still expects Christians to obey the moral aspects of the law. In fact, Christ raised the bar by spiritualizing the requirements above more than the physical obedience. God looks at our hearts. God wants us to be pure at heart. In Matthews 5, 8, Sorry, in Matthew 5, 8, God says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. God wants all his people to be saved. Our Heavenly Father is gracious. He's a gracious God, abounding in mercy and love. He wants us to relent to punish sin. Think about it. God loved the world so much, he gave his only begotten son. Jesus, his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to pay for the price for our sins, so those who believe in him and may repent of their sin may be forgiven. That was the second. 
third covenant is I will heal. And this is there's no coincidence that first you have to forgive before you heal. I always believe before you receive any healing, you have to first forgive to truly heal. The word heal in this verse refers to God restoring his favor to the children of Israel by removing the consequences of their backsliding and returning peace and prosperity within their promised land. It should be noted that in the context of 2 Chronicles 7.13, God is promising to remove his chastisement of the land. He will end the drought, get rid of the devouring insects, and stop the plague which he brought upon in punishment for their sin. The Bible provides many examples of God delivering his people from outside enemies that were invading the land as well. When sin is confessed and forsaken, however, God promises to forgive and bring favor upon his repentant people. When people turn from their sin, he will remove the chastisement and he has brought upon their land. It's important to note that the new covenant, the new, I'm sorry, covenant that we see promised in the Old Testament and made through Jesus is one not about nations, but about people who have faith in God. And the goal of this covenant is not about wealth and prosperity. It is more about the mission of bringing God's message to the world for us to live as God intended. The healing about spiritual effectiveness and ministry. How many ways has the land of our own hearts have been defiled? Where have we looked to also push away God in our lives? To turn away and walk in our sin or rebellion or whatever it may be, attempting to live apart from God in the ways that we please. God has called us to worship him. He has created mankind to serve him and to walk with him all the days of our lives. Yet today, whether it has been sin, whether it has been darkness, the land has been defiled. Maybe our hearts have been defiled. Maybe we can look at our nation and our hearts can begin to think of how we can, as a nation, have even turned against the Lord. But he says today, if my people who are called by my name, if we humble ourselves, if we pray, and if he seeks, if we seek his face, he in turn will hear us and forgive our sins which opens a way for him to heal the land, to begin to heal our hearts. All right, so the interest of time, because I see that I'm running over. Let us just pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love and mercy. As you impress upon our hearts your commandments and promises, witness in 2 Chronicles 7.14. I pray that we humble ourselves before you and that we as a body of Christ spend time with you in prayer 
so that we may take to heart this scripture, to be praying and seeking your face. If there are places in the land of our hearts that need to be cleansed, that need to find forgiveness, may we turn to you, may you bring healing and forgiveness so that we can bring others into the land of God, into that place. This I pray in your name. Amen. I started attending the church in 1216, and then I was baptized in 1217, and I feel I've always had a very, very special relationship with the good Lord, because I have a, a mentally challenged child who's on the borderline of autism. And uh, I'm very grateful that he lets me come an hour and a half to church. And if I'm not home by 12.15, he will get dressed and look for me in the neighborhood. So that's why I'm glad I'm uh, next. Um, as I said, I have all, Oh, the reason I'm wearing my uh, Mr. Rogers shirt is because I'm a little nervous. And Mr. Rogers has uh, performed one or two miracles for me. And I thought if I wear his church, he would keep me calm and collective. So I want to give the honor to Mr. Rogers. He's a, he was a wonderful, wonderful man. Um, the good Lord has performed many miracles in my life. But the miracle that he performed about six months ago I pray to him every day and thank him. Um, my husband and I were married 56 years, 56 wonderful years, and 56 difficult years because of our son, who we call JB. My husband uh, had a chronic kidney disease, stage four, for the past six years and he refused dialysis. He told me he wanted to die, and I, being a retired registered nurse, honored his wishes. The doctor told him that uh, he would only live for two or three years, and uh, he lived for about four years, and then all of a sudden he decided to have dialysis. And we had the shunts put in his arm, and he had many complications. And uh, we decided the best place for him to be was in a nursing home so that he could really get good care and follow up with the dialysis that is three times a week for five to six hours. My husband was in the nursing home for about four months, and uh, I, the week before July, Fourth, he fell asleep in the wheelchair, fell out the wheelchair, landed on his face, and fractured all the spines in his cervical neck. 
He was transferred to the uh, Manhasset Northwell Hospital, stayed there for about three or four days. What happened was a cervical bone had protruded into his skull. And the doctor told me, the neurosurgeon told me he was not a candidate for surgery. And he said that we would have to start hospice care and we would have to stop the dialysis and all his medication because he had uh, other medical problems. This was Tuesday, I, uh, the day after uh, July 4th. I don't know why I emphasized July 4th, but it just sticks in my head. Oh, I forgot to say the most important thing, excuse me. Mr. Rogers, what happened to you? <laughs> I, um, on July 3rd, on the screen were two notations. I, in all the years I've attended this church, I've never photographed the notations that were on the screen. And this was July 3rd, 2022. On the screen was, you can change what you can change, in parenthesis, but God can. And also was, following Jesus means we know the story is good and ends well. Oh, I'm so angry at myself. I forgot that. But I'm glad I remembered. Okay. The surgeon told me that we would have to put your husband on uh, end-of-life care. And I was devastated. Actually, so devastated. I said, how could I consent to this? Because we were married 56 years. He was always there to help me with our son. This was Tuesday. And I told the doctor I would give him my answer on Wednesday. I went home devastated and I prayed to the good Lord and I cried and I said, God, please help me. You've always with you've always been with me all these years. And I would feel so guilty if I permitted for the doctor to end all the medical care necessary for my husband. But the good Lord intervened, and I got a call Wednesday morning, 2.30 in the morning, that my husband had died. And when I got that call, I felt so good. I felt like God had performed a miracle so I wouldn't have to feel guilty for the rest of my life. And to this day, I thank the good Lord that he took my husband. And I want you to know, I have prayed all my life, all my life to God because I have JB, and I pray twice a day, and I'm not ashamed to say that I pray in the bathtub with all my bubble baths. I pray in the morning, and I pray at night before I go to bed. And I always tell my friends, God would never recognize me with clothes, because I'm always in the bathtub with my scented oils and my bubble bath. And uh, I feel so good when I lie in the water and just pray to him and thank him for all the positive things he's done in my life. And there have been so many. And one day I'll tell you the story how Mr. Rogers also came into my life. Thank you very much for listening.
Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, it's a, just a encouraging. You know, it's great to hear these. If um, just, I know we're out of time, but if you, if you go to the last slide, sort of the next step slide. Um, yeah, yeah. So the thing we've asked you to do is to commit to pray, to you know, examine your you know your prayer, you know your your prayer life, and just take one small step to become more of a prayer warrior. Um, and then on the next slide, let's just move quickly to that one. We, um, in two weeks, we'd like to start another small group using a prayer book from uh, Jim Simula at Brooklyn Tabernacle. Um, if you go to the next slide. And then also on March 28th, you know, the Brooklyn Tabernacle is an amazing prayer uh, church, and uh, we'd like to visit that on Tuesday night. If you go to the next slide, it'll show the book that we're talking about using life-changing prayer. And the subline there is uh, approaching the throne of grace. There is, you know, that's a tremendous opportunity that we have, and you, you know, we'll touch on more about that later. But you know, it's a privilege. Prayer gives us the privilege of entering into this throne of grace. So. <laughs>